You are listening to a message from Jubilee Church. Jubilee is one church with multiple locations across the greater St. Louis area and is committed to connecting people to Jesus, resulting in God-honoring life change. For more information about Jubilee Church, please visit our website at jubileestl.org. It's a great joy to be back with you again. I love to come to Jubilee, and uh, we have uh, so appreciated watching, as Sam has, uh, the growth and blessing of the church here, and uh, it's always a blessing and a privilege to see what God's doing with you and to be with you. We've been at the conference here, and indeed, we're on our way to Turkey uh, via the UK. We fly back tonight through the night, uh, back in uh, London Heathrow tomorrow morning, and then off to Turkey at the next weekend. So we're looking forward to a great time as the guys gather from all over the world. Praise God. I want to speak to you, please, from 1 Corinthians 1 Corinthians and chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. I'm reading from the NASB, just the first 10 verses. Now, I make known to you, brothers, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, that is Simon Peter, then to the Twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom remain till now, but some have fallen asleep. But he appeared to, then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, not fit to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me didn't prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Father, thank you so much for the joy of focusing all our attention on Jesus, singing out to you that your name is great in all the earth, Lord. We thank you, though there was a day when only the people of Israel knew how great that name was, that you promised the psalmists there would come a day when all the nations would know how great that name is. And Lord, we thank you that we now sing the praise of that great name. And Lord, we thank you for the grace that has reached to us in far-off Gentile nations, far off from all that uh, David and Moses and Abraham, these great servants of yours knew. We thank you, Lord. Now we can know you. We can enjoy you. We thank you. We've been enjoying singing your praise together delighting ourselves in your love. And Father, we, we feel enveloped in the kindness of God. We feel cared for. We're so grateful that you have loved us. And Father, we ask you, in the name of Jesus, please would you take your word and speak it into our hearts this morning. I pray for any, especially who are, Lord, needing to hear uh, this word. Lord, I pray for all of us that we'll be edified. I pray for any who not quite sure yet that they know God, that even this morning they might come to know you. 
and that, Lord Jesus, you will do something supernatural here as we open your word together. Father, we ask all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, it was a great joy to be with you, uh, I think, a year or so back when we took three evenings to talk about the grace of God, and uh, it was a, a wonderful time, time of huge celebration. And I really felt God impressing on me to bring a word from another perspective about the grace of God. And what we're looking at here is the 10th verse, where Paul says, By the grace of God, I am who I am. It's about identity. And we often think of grace as to do with mercy, forgiveness, acceptance, the covering of sin, etc. But here Paul is talking about identity. By the grace of God... I am who I am. And a lot of us struggle with identity. Who am I, really? What am I on the planet for? What am I in the church for? Who, what am I, who am I? Who am I? And this is an amazing statement that Paul is making. And uh, it's got a kind of ring to it that if you know your Bible at all, you'll know there was a day in Moses' life, and Moses is looking after a few sheep. He's uh, in not a very uh, predominant context. He's in the desert. And, and, and a bush begins to glow with glory, and it's not like it burns up and the smoke replaces the glory. It keeps on burning and burning. And this phenomenon attracts his attention. He goes to this burning bush to see what this is all about. And out of it comes a voice and uh, calls Moses by name, which must have been a breathtaking experience, and then commissions him to go down into Egypt and bring out the Israelite nation. That's two million people. A phenomenal task he's given. And Moses is pretty scared of the responsibility. And uh, he asks, I think, a fairly reasonable question. Who shall I say, he asked the bush, who shall I say is sending me? And God gives him this extraordinary reply, I am who I am. And it's kind of a name of God. And it's a full of mystery and wonder and, and endlessness. I am who I am uncontaminated, uncontrived, unthreatened. I am who I am is sending you. And funny enough, here's Paul kind of sort of echoing something of that. By the grace of God, I am who I am. That's an amazing thing to say. It's an amazing thing to be able to take on your lips. And very often we, I mean, we wouldn't talk, use that kind of language, really. If someone said, who are you? We, we tend to Think about maybe, well, the sort of things that Paul may have thought about in the past, where you read elsewhere in the, in the New Testament, uh, if you'd asked Paul a few years earlier, before, before he became a Christian, if you'd asked Paul, who are you, he'd have had quite an, a long answer. He'd have said, well, I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews, is the phrase he uses. In other words, I'm a, an elite Hebrew. Uh, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, it's like I'm from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the particularly elite tribes uh, from the south. And uh, I, he said, I was above my companions in terms of scholarship. I sat at the feet of Gamaliel, who was the predominant teacher of that generation. Um, I was zealous. I was uh, circumcised on the eighth day. In other words, I'm absolutely uh, lined up with God's purpose. And he could have said, this is who I am. I am the product of my birth. I'm the product of my education. He was a product of some privilege, if you like, in Jewish eyes. Um, and he could have said, that's who I am. And many of us 
kind of think that way. Well, who are you? Well, my dad was this, I did that, I was educated here. Um, I guess that's who I am. Uh, Paul could say that with some pride uh, because he thought his background was impressive. Uh, some of us may say it rather the opposite. Uh, there's a man called Gideon in the Bible, God first spoke to him uh, and began to call him, and, and Gideon said, Whoa, what are you talking to me for? He said, uh, my father's house is nothing. I mean, it's unimpressive. We're just nobodies. My background, we're, no, we're nobody people. We're, we've got no background, nothing to claim. And I am least in my father's house. So that's his identity. What are you talking to me for? And the amazing thing is that whether we would say, well, actually, I'm pretty smart, I'm entrepreneurial, I can do what I like, I've got a lot of skills, or whether we might say, I've got nothing to offer. Paul takes us right out of those categories and gives us a completely different identity. And Paul is no, when you ask Paul, what are you now? He's, he doesn't even make any reference to his background. It's irrelevant because now he's got a new identity, he has a new grace gives us a new identity. We're a new person, something we weren't before. And it's so important, dear friends, that we understand that when we become Christians, grace gets hold of us and not only forgives us, not only washes away all the stains, which we love to sing about, that our stains have been eradicated, all the spoiled things, all the wreck. We're, we're, it's more than that. It's more than that. God has done something completely new. He is doing something new. And you'll find the other thing that Paul says is this. He says, I'm not worthy to be called an apostle. We just read that. Now, why does he say that? Because I persecuted the church of God. And the most famous piece of persecution that he did, that the Bible tells us about, is when Stephen, who was one of the most impressive young men in the early church, uh, at one time, the, the early church, the apostles, the twelve, said, choose out seven men full of the Spirit and wisdom. And uh, well, to be honest, they were all full of the Spirit. <laughs> Thousands of people were filled with the Spirit. The whole church is... There's just been revival. The flood of the presence of God was on unprecedented ways. There was great grace on them all. This is an incredible group. And Stephen stands out among that lot. And he is an amazing guy. He says, no one could withstand the wisdom with which he spoke. Signs and wonders are coming from his hands. He's a breathtaking guy. And Paul is so much a Pharisee, so hating Christianity, so much a Hebrew of Hebrews, that he is the guy responsible for the killing of Stephen. It says they laid their things at Saul's feet, and that is normally understood that he's the responsible guy. He is responsible as great rocks fall on this man's head and on his body, and he's crushed to death. And as he's dying, it says his face is like the face of an angel. And he says, don't lay this sin to their charge. And, and he sees heaven opened. I mean, it must have been, I mean, it's an amazing phrase, actually. The stone smashing into his face, and it says, and he fell asleep. Like here, it says, they fell asleep. It means they died. But it, what a phrase to use when stones are smashing into your face. It's, oh, Father, forgive them. And there's something about this angelic face and this extraordinary man that I think probably stayed with Paul. Oh, 
I reckon it haunted him. And so on one side he could say, well, who are you? Well, I'm pretty special. I've got this incredible background. On the other side, you could say, who are you? And he's thinking, what did I do there? And when God does come to him, eventually he says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I want to suggest that, that, that Saul of Tarsus was living with this in his heart. What, what have I done? It's hard. There's something about, and sometimes, dear friends, we carry in our hearts things we think, can you be forgiven for that? Sometimes we've done things we think, that's a terrible thing to have done. And sometimes you think, oh, God will forgive, but will he forgive this? I, I, you know, some, some guys, I wrecked her life. I walked away from her. I should have. Or I, I, I just really failed. And, and things sometimes, you know, and I never got a chance to say sorry to my parents. And, I made, uh, and some people carry things. You know, I've been in pastoral ministry long enough to find that there are people who think, I, I don't know if this is forgivable. I don't, to, I don't know if there's mercy for this. I know there's mercy for lots, but if I perhaps keep on working hard, maybe I can... Get rid of this guilt. So here's Paul, and I, I want to suggest he's almost like two people in one, and you know, many of us are very complicated people, aren't we? Who are you? Well, I'm a bit of a mess, really. I'm with this and this and this. And in one way, Paul could say, well, I've got all this. On the other side, he could say, well, I carry a lot of guilt. But actually, he says this amazing thing. He says, by the grace of God... It's like God has given him a completely new identity. It's not just a forgiven Hebrew. He's not just a forgiven murderer. He's, he's something completely new. I'm, I, I am what I am. God's made something new. And it says this phenomenal thing in the Bible. If any man is in Christ, there is a new creation. It says, uh, uh, the old King James says, there's a, we are a new creature. But the literal, what if you would translate it literally, if any man is in Christ, there is a new creation. Because the Bible promises this, that when, when this old garment, this old world, is worn out, sometimes you get shocked. Uh, Wendy and I were in Australia, New Zealand, uh, a year or so back, and uh, they're, they're saying the ozone layer here is very thin. You know, you hear about that these days? The ozone layer is thin. Whatever, when you go out, stick on loads of um, sun block. And uh, you always wonder when the Australians come and play cricket in England. They come out to play cricket. You've heard of that game? Cricket, yes? They come out to play cricket in England. And they walk out, you know, and they've got sun cream all over the block on their mouths, on their faces, on their eyes. And so, in, in sunny England. And uh, I've always wondered why. And because uh, uh, the English don't tend to bother. And uh, I, then you go down there and think, oh, I see. Because here, the ozone layer is really wearing out. And uh, they said to us when we were in New Zealand, you know, if you're going for a walk, uh, you know, put some sunblock on. I thought, we're going for a walk, come on. You know, I know about, about sun. And uh, we went out for like 20 minutes. And when we came back, this was all burning. I thought, oh, is that, this is weird. And they said, no, no, it's that. And you see television, I was going to say adverts, they're not really adverts for cancer, but you see very horrific uh, uh, items on television between the programs where you see this crawling stuff going over you. So they're saying, watch out, watch out, uh, the sun will... Uh, so what was happening? 
Well, the ozone layer is wearing out. And watch out, because, well, there's this global warming, there's climate. What's going on? Well, the Bible says the whole thing will wear out like a garment. You know, you may have an old garment. You chuck it away, you get another one. The Bible says that the earth, it's no surprise to us. It's wearing out. Well, it says so in the Bible. It'll wear out. But what's that then? In the Bible says this, God will make new heavens and a new earth. He's going to make new creation. And there's going to come a time when God will say, enough of the injustice, the cruelty, the wickedness, the sin of man. And he's giving us a season of mercy, of mercy, of mercy. And then he'll say, enough, enough. And he'll wrap the whole thing up. And he'll make new heavens and a new earth. And he's going to give us new bodies, even. If you're in Christ, he says, we're going to be changed. It's such good news. In the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we're going to get new bodies. I mean, what lies ahead is breathtaking. And here Paul is, saying, Paul is borrowing that kind of phrase. Where he said, if anyone is in Christ, new creation... It's like you got, into, you got into the new age. And it doesn't yet appear what you shall be, but even now you're a son of God. Even now you are, you're, a son of, you're a son of God. It doesn't yet appear what you shall be. When he appears, you'll be like him. It's amazing what God has done. So if anyone is in Christ, new creation, then it says this, behold, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. Now, lots of modern translations don't, don't translate the word behold. <laughs> you know, you don't say, oh, behold, a plane flying over. Oh, behold, a dog ran down the road. You, you know, we don't say behold. And uh, there's no obvious uh, word to slip in there, and so they tend to drop it, which is a shame, really. Because when it's there, it's, it's really meant to it. It's saying something. It's saying, if anyone's in Christ, new creation, Look! Maybe we should translate it, check it out. <laughs> Where it says, behold, say, hey, check it out. All things have become new. That's a new creation. By grace, Paul says, by the grace of God, I have a new identity. Now, that's not a new thing, if you like, for the New Testament, though the outworking on that scale is new for the New Testament. But in the Old Testament, you get guys who get their names changed. I'm sure you're familiar with that. God comes to a man called Abram, uh, which means exalted father, uh, and at the moment he's fatherless, so that name's an embarrassment to live with. You know, hello, what's your name? Well, exalted father. Uh, yeah, well, um, okay, exalted father. And God says to him, right now, you will no longer be exalted father, you will be father of a multitude. Okay, now that's a good name to live with. Father of a multitude. That's his new identity. God, God gets, takes one identity away and gives him another identity, and he names him. He gives him a new name. He says, this is who you are. By grace, not because Abram is impressive. There's nothing in the Bible to say Abram was impressive. Uh, rather, the opposite. He tells lies about his wife. He risks her safety. I mean, the guys are cheap sometimes. He does well. He does better and better as he goes on. But, beloved, he gets better and better but he's called father of a multitude quite early on. God, God changes his name. God changes his identity. God gives us a new identity. If you're a Christian, you have a new identity. Do you realize that? 
Do you know that? You're a new person. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Abraham has a new identity. And indeed, the Bible teaches us that everyone who's a believer now is a child of Abraham. Whether they're Chinese or Mexican or Russian or African, or we are all children of Abraham. Wow. God said, Father of a multitude. The multitude. Gave him a new name. He came to Jacob, which means cheat, and said, you are Israel, prince with God. Changed his identity. He came to Gideon, which I think is a wonderful one. He came to Gideon, and Gideon is a scared guy. The Bible teaches that Gideon was in a cave. First time we meet him, he's threshing the wheat in a cave. Well, it's crazy, because if you're threshing wheat, you need a breeze to be blowing through, because you want the chaff to be separated. He's doing it in a cave. The guy's scared. And God comes to him and says, listen, you mighty man of valor. And you can imagine Gideon thinking, come on, come on. But by the time Gideon's finished, he has led 300 guys who don't have a sword between them against tens of thousands and beaten them. Now, don't you think that's, uh, that's courageous? That is amazing to do that. To lead 300 guys against tens of thousands and to win. And then it goes on to say, and then they pursued them and chased them off. This is a warrior. God said to him at the beginning, God said to him when he was just a scared guy in a cave, you are a mighty warrior. In the end, he's chasing off thousands with 300... In other words, he became a mighty warrior. God who's going to make him a mighty warrior can call him that as soon as he likes. See, God calls us things. He gives us a new identity. He gives us the identity first in Christ. You're a new person. You receive that as a gift of grace. We're not trying to become something. He gives us, and then we live out what he's given us. Amen? He's given you. Have you accepted it? You've got a new identity. A new identity. God has planned. We are his, the Bible says we're his workmanship, created in Christ. We've already been brought to birth in our mother's womb. We've been created, if you like. But when you become a Christian, you, we are his workmanship. We're his work of art. The Jerusalem Bible translates it. It's the word poema in Greek. It means like poetry. He's, he's writing the lines. He's writing in the difficult lines, the, heart, the good lines. He's, he, he's working on us. We're his workmanship. God's working on you. But he's giving you an identity, and, and we're something he's making. So grace is so much bigger than simply mercy. It's bigger than just acceptance. It's giving us a completely new identity. God, and so we sometimes sing things like, let the weak say, I am strong. Well, that's foolishness. No, the Bible says it. Gideon, if you like. Learn, Gideon, be strong, I send you. He's pumping faith into this man. Behold, I send you. He can change him by his word. I was fascinated to read recently, I've not noticed it before, reading in, uh, on in, Gideon, uh, in Judges with the story of Gideon, and it says later when they're racing on, and uh, uh, guys, he meets some people, I haven't got time to give you the background, but he says, what were they like? And these people say to Gideon, they were like you, like sons of kings. 
Gideon. He said, my father is nobody and I'm the least. And these people say to him, they're like you. They're like sons of kings. Gideon's completely changed to one who's got some dignity. He's got some stature. He said, he's changed. Father, God wants us to change. He wants us to own up to who we are. So I, I, I really don't appreciate the kind of teaching that says, well, a Christian is just a sinner who's found some forgiveness. One sinner can tell another sinner where to find bread, all that kind of stuff. You know, we're just sinners. No, the Bible doesn't say that. It says, conduct yourself as is becoming among the saints. God's done a phenomenal thing on us. And we need to learn it and get hold of it and understand it and enjoy the wonder of it. So he's saying... By the grace of God, I am what I am. You see it again and again. Simon, you, you will be Peter. Simon, you wreck. I'm going to make you into a rock. And he does. You read Peter's epistles. You think, boy, the wisdom and strength in these letters. He changes us. He gives us a new identity. And it's not only uh, identity, but also ministry. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, but just to note it, he says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And he begins to speak about his apostleship, which is the gift he has. He, he's saying, I'm the least of the apostles, I'm not fit to be called an apostle, but by the grace of God. It's like, yeah, I know my background, but I'm not going to let it hold me back because God's called me. I'm not going to be forever saying, oh, I should never have done that. That's so terrible. See, God doesn't want us to live there. We don't want to be arrogant people, but if you're forever thinking, oh, is there ever forgiveness? No, Paul says, no, I know I did that. I know if you could argue it totally disqualifies me, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I'm not going to be, keep on beating myself up for things I did in the past. We need to step right out of it. We don't need to live there because God's giving us a fresh start. And so it's important for us to see that. And he says not only that, he's given me apostleship. Now, it's important simply to see that apostleship is a gift from God just as the other gifts are. So you find similar in Romans 1.5, he's given me grace and apostleship. You find in 1 Corinthians 3.10, God has given me grace to be a wise master builder. He doesn't say I'm a smart cookie. He doesn't say I'm an alpha male. I know how to do this stuff. I'm forceful. I'm strong. I know how to do these things. He says God has given me grace. I get very nervous of these question-answer things to see what your temperament is. I never know how to answer them. I think, well, do you mean what I used to be or what God's making me? I literally don't know how to answer them. What, what do you mean, my temperament? What, what I, I find it irrelevant. I look in the Bible, I find Gideon. Well, he's a waste of time. He's a warrior. I look at Paul. Well, he's a murderer. He's an apostle. He's an arrogant Hebrew. No, no, he's an apostle. Why? Grace changes us. So for me to ask, you know, what is your background? A guy wanted to interview me the other day. I'm trying to find the character of the guys who started these new movements. I want to find common... I said, I don't, I'm not interested. I don't even think of that as a biblical concept. God takes all sorts of different people. It's grace. <laughs> if it isn't, we're finished. If I'm down to what I was, you know, your background training, did you get business education? If you got there, Paul says, I used to be that stuff. God's given me grace to be an apostle. It's a grace gift. It's like God gives somebody grace to be an evangelist. 
and give somebody else grace to be a teacher and give somebody else grace to be a prophet. And they're very different. And that's why we want to build churches that don't just have priest and people or clergyman and laity. So the one guy is kind of the man, the pastor, the, the... No, no, no. The Bible says there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, gifts. They're very diverse. The church is a pretty exciting place to be. And you get these very different gifts. It's a privilege in the kind of churches we're working with around the world to know guys who are prophetic, who know things. You know, I've known Sam for some years. God, he would be known amongst the brothers, not only as a dear man of God, but one who is a prophet. He knows stuff in the Spirit. He gets revelation. And in the Bible, you see a man called Agabus, you see others, they know things. There's going to be a famine. You were going to be taken in chains. It's part of the New Testament church. Guys who know things, they are seers. They see stuff by the Spirit. They enrich our lives. They take us out of the humdrum. They, they let something of heaven break out upon us. It's a different gift to the Bible teacher. The Bible teacher is wonderful. It's so helpful to have the verses expounded. This is what it really means. In this verse, it means this, because look at that verse and compare it with that verse. Oh, I hadn't seen that. Yeah, well, that's what makes the man the teacher. He, he shapes it. He feeds you. You think, oh, that's helpful. I hadn't understood. I'm so glad to have a Bible. But thank God for the pastor teacher who takes the flock and instructs and inspires. Then you get the evangelist. And, and to me, it's one of the most amazing gifts. I heard Billy Graham once say, he said, when I say, I want you to get up out of your seat. He said, I feel the power of God upon me. And you see these people pouring forward. Oh, you know, the evangelist. How come? How does a man... Well, there's a gift. Is he just a pumped-up preacher? No, there's a gift. And whether it's a great, great man like Billy Graham, or whether it's in our own ranks. There's a guy in the church in Brighton where I've been for years. I mean, he's just kind of awkward with words, and his style's a bit embarrassing. But when he preaches the gospel, more people get saved than when anybody else preaches. And we've had some good teachers in our churches. And often when I've been preaching at home base, the last ten minutes I say, Phil, come out and finish this meeting for me. I did that several times. I said, Phil wants forward. <laughs> for ten minutes... Now you come. I tell you, like 20 people, you think, I don't know how that happened. <laughs> it's a gift. It's a gift. And so, yeah, God gives gifts right through. So he's saying to me, he's saying here, I've got grace for a new identity. I've also got grace for a gift. It says in Romans 12, 6, we all have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. And that's not just talking about platform people, it's saying all of us. We all have gifts. Again, 1 Peter 4, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Manifold, variegated, it could be translated multicolored. I'm old enough to remember black and white television. Coloured is much more fun, eh? And I'm also old enough to remember black and white church. Coloured is much more fun. Multicoloured, many gifted. 
That's why we want to build a church which is full of the diverse gifts and graces of God. They're all free. And they come from God. And some of them, they're very, I mean, there's at least three or four lists of gifts in the New Testament. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians, in 1 Peter, uh, Ephesians 4. There's loads of places where the, and I don't think that's exhaustive. It's just some of the ones you happen to mention. But, I mean, the gift of hospitality is just a beautiful thing. Gift of administration, gift of faith, gift of giving. All these things are there. Like, but people, some people have got phenomenal faith to give, which is more than people's normal faithfulness. They've just got a gift of giving. Other people have got a gift of faith. It's just extraordinary. Others, it says, have the gift of inspiring the faith of others. What a wonderful gift. There's lots of gifts and they're not just platform stuff. And we're just to be stewards of these gifts. So he's saying to us, he says, look, by the grace of God, I am what I am. And then he's talking about this gift that he had, but we need to understand all of the gifts. I just want to press on through this verse. He says, his grace to me was not in vain. What does that mean? It means it's possible to frustrate the grace of God. It's not automatic. The Bible's always looking for uh, the heart response, a good heart response. That's why you get things like the parable of the sower. The seed's good, but the ground's different. And how we respond to what God is saying leaves responsibility with us. So he says, he says it wasn't in vain to me. What sort of things can make grace in vain? Well, let me just rattle off a few. First of all, I would say unbelief. See, that's what happened. Several, it's so encouraging actually. Several of the great servants of God in the Bible start with not exactly full of faith. So Moses, God says, I'm choosing you, I'm sending you. And the answer Moses says is, What if they won't believe me? What if? It's not the way to answer God, is it? <laughs> Go, what if? <laughs> but we're a bit like that. And you can miss, I mean, God is going to grace this man with an awesome reputation. Moses, wow. He nearly missed it. He nearly missed it. Gideon, he's a hero, one of my great heroes. He nearly missed it. God said, I'm sending you. He said, me? If you are, do this, do that. You know, it's like, come on, God spoke to you. But unbelief can rob you. If you are more persuaded by, my father's house is nothing, and I'm the least. If that's more impressive on you than God saying, I send you, you'll miss it. Do you hear that? If you're more impressed by, well, I know who I am. I know I'm no one. I'm no one. I don't come from anywhere. If, that more, if that's more impressive to you, than God saying, I make you a new creation. I'm for you, I'm with you. You'll miss it. You'll miss it. You have to battle through. Now, when I got called to preach, I, my father's house is very low. And I was the youngest in it. I mean, I got born in the war. I was a mistake. My parents' mistake. I can imagine my parents being horrified. You know, the war's just breaking out. They live in a two-bedroom house. 
and they've got two kids already, and suddenly, oh no. I mean, the bombs are dropping. One of my earliest memories is being taken from my bed and put into a, an underground shelter, and, and, and the bomb, it comes the bombs. You think, who wants another baby? You know, you think, Pfft. And I know when I first got, was invited to preach, I felt God called me, and I'm scared out of my life. I really was scared. And the first time I went to speak, I can remember it so vividly, it was an old folks' home. Because, you know, you have, my pastor said, come on, you need to start preaching. Because I felt, I felt called. <laughs> so I'm scared. I'm so scared I've got my handkerchief ready because I think I'm going to throw up. <laughs> this is true. This is, I say this is absolutely true. And we knock the door of this old folks' home and we go in and there's 25 elderly, mostly ladies and some men, and half of them are asleep. <laughs> this is true. And I'm so scared I speak to these people. And I would say for several times, in the early days of preaching, I had this handkerchief ready, because I thought, <laughs> well, you're either more impressed with that. I remember saying to an older Christian lady, what is this? And she said, I'm sure God's keeping you humble. I thought, boy, there must be better ways of keeping you humble. I hate this. <laughs> and I, I feel pretty <laughs> useless anyway. But anyway, that you, uh, you either get more impressed by your sense. See, someone may say to you, I really feel it'd be great if you led a small group. Oh, I don't think I could. Hey. Or would you do this? Well, hmm. See, what, what more, what impresses you more? The grace of God. Or who you think you are. We've got to step into what God says we are. So watch out for unbelief. Paul, when he's talking about these things in 1 Corinthians 12, says, if the foot should say, I'm not a hand, doesn't make you any less a part of the body. If the ear should say, I'm not an eye. See, sometimes we compare ourselves with one another. The foot's not getting much, giving much impression at the moment. Hands are everywhere. Eyes are remarkable. Ears are not terribly impressive. And you can be comparing and thinking, ah. And Paul really addresses that. He says, come on, wake up to the gifts that God's given you. So watch out for that. Secondly, I would say watch out for legalism. We spent a lot of time on this when I was with you before, so I won't spend much time here, but just to say it quickly, the temptation to add to acceptance by doing things to please God was there from the very beginning. And Paul says to the Galatians, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law... Christ died aimlessly. Then again in Galatians, you who are seeking to be justified by law have fallen away from grace. And the temptation to try and please God, to do things for God, instead of accepting by the grace of God, I am what I am. He's done it. He's made me righteous as a gift. I don't do my religious things to impress him. I don't go to church to impress him. I don't read my Bible to impress him. I don't say my prayers to impress him. And Paul is saying, if you keep trying to do things to try to impress God, you have fallen away from grace. You've nullified the grace of God. No, it's Jesus' death that makes... We've been singing such great songs this morning. It's his finished work that makes us acceptable. When Satan tempts you to despair and tells you of the guilt within, you think, I've got to do some more stuff. No, upward I look and see him there 
who made an end to all my sin. We must learn to overcome the accusing finger of Satan by the blood of Jesus. Otherwise, his grace gets to be in vain. Mustn't let it happen. I won't stay there too long. But the flip side of that coin is also dangerous. What I'll call license. Peter says this in 1 Peter 2.16, Act as free men, but don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. Act as free men. Again, Jude 4, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness. Again, 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful, but don't be mastered by anything. See, the, the Jewish people, when they came to Christ, they stepped out from a whole load of rules. and They had rules and regulation religion. That's, that's the way they expressed their... They had so many rules. They mustn't do this, they mustn't do that. They had to be there, keep the feast days, be circumcised, mustn't eat that kind of food. I mean, it was all rules, heavy burdens they had to carry. Jesus brought release. Jesus said, oh, you the burden and heavy laden. We tend to use that thought as though it's a psychological thing. Oh, life's tough. You know, I have to get my wages. He's probably talking to those guys. They're burdened with legalism, rules, regulations. He says, the Pharisees, they put burdens on you. They don't lift a finger to help you. Church, that is just heavyweight stuff. You just have so much to do. And, and, and Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set you free. Stand fast in your freedom. That's not writing about sin, that's writing about law. Step out into freedom. And then it adds this very carefully. He says, don't, don't use your freedom as a covering for evil. That's all we're in grace. I was fascinated. We just had our uh, leaders' conference at a hotel nearby and uh, here in St. Louis. And uh, I understood a waitress said to one of our pastor's wives there, she said, this is just amazing. We, you're like a great big family. And there's such fresh people crisscrossing table to table in friendship. And there's people are dancing, people are having wine on the table. But she said, I've not seen anybody drunk. Interesting, eh? This is the Bible saying, you're free, but don't use that as an excuse for licentiousness. Don't say, well, I'm so free, I can get drunk, I'm really free. No, you're not, you're just stepping back into bondage. In the name of freedom, you became bound. So the Bible's very real. It says you're free, but don't use that as a cloak. Don't think, oh, well, we can do what we like now. We're in grace. Let's teach grace in our church. No, no, no. We need to be very clear. Ungodly people who turn grace into licentiousness. We don't want to go there. Hallelujah. All things are lawful, Paul says, but I'm not going to be mastered. In the name of liberty, I'm not going to get mastered by something. I'm not going to let something else get hold of me. In the name of liberty. So these things are addressed. in The, the Bible's not afraid to address these things and to show us the way through. There's a freedom, but you need to be careful that you don't make the grace of God in vain by abusing your freedom. Okay? And then the very last one, or at least, yeah, I'll make it the very last one. He, 
what he actually says. His grace was not to me in vain because I worked harder than any of them. That's interesting, isn't it? It says, his grace to me was not in vain for I worked harder than any of them. So grace is not the enemy of hard work. See, sometimes people say, well, what are you doing? I haven't heard about grace. Come on, what are you doing? Paul, what's that? Shipwrecks, beatings, journeys. Come on, Paul, you're in grace. Now, grace doesn't produce laziness. We mustn't fear that, haven't you understood grace? You're working so hard. Now, it's important that we're not working hard to impress. Jesus has impressed on my behalf. Hallelujah. But grace, for Paul, said, I work harder than any of them. His grace to me was not in vain. I work harder than any of them. But I love this verse. If you just work your way through it, it says, yet not I. You think, hold on, Paul. Who's working hard here? You're working, but you're not working. What does this verse mean? Well, I'm working hard, but I'm not working hard. Well, who is then? But, I, but not I, but the grace of God that's with me. What does that mean? It means this, that grace not only gives me identity, grace is the ongoing provision of God's energy and strength and enabling, especially if you're in the gift that God's given you grace for. So Paul says, I'm working hard, but you know, it's not me. It's the grace of God with me. And so it's not, it's not that, you know, God, maybe you got saved in 2005, you say, thank you, Jesus, you saved me. Now I will, to express my appreciation, I will work hard. I will pay back my debt to God. See, some people regard the Christian life as repaying the debt. You'll find some old hymns and songs sometimes that hint that. That the Christian life is paying back your debt to God. You can't pay back your debt. It's just free. (laughs) And so it's not, thank you, Lord, you gave me grace, I'll work it out from now, I'll repay you for your incredible mercy, I'll work hard. That's not what it's saying. Nor is it saying, you know, I work hard and I sometimes come up for some grace. You know, like an underwater swimmer. I'm working hard. I'm going to go, <laughs> Sunday morning, bit of grace. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, back to it now. So, you know, the life, serving God's just terrible. It's hard work. But you come up for a bit of grace sometimes. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Oh, it's wonderful. Here we go again. And he's not saying that. He really is not saying that. He's saying, I work hard, but in the work, in the work, it's not me. But it's the grace of God that's with me. It's not just I come up for grace. There's grace operating in the very gift God's given me to do. And I find that sometimes, to be honest, you know, you can have quite a heavy schedule sometimes and people say, aren't you exhausted? Well, your body can be a bit tired at the end of the day. But I actually find when you're doing what God's called you to do, it's almost like you get energy because you feel it's not me. And Paul says, I'm praying for you. With what? With all the energy that he provides. There comes a moment when sometimes prayer, we all know, don't we, prayer is sometimes quite difficult. But sometimes there comes, it kind of kicks in. You find another energy. You think, wow, I seem to care about more of this more than I realized I did. And you realize, actually, it's not I. I've touched something. I've touched something of God's compassion in this. And Paul talks about having the compassion of Christ 
working in him. And somehow, somehow the grace of God kicks in. So, beloved, the whole thing is supernatural. The Christian life is lived by grace. You do not get to that kind of Martha and Mary thing where Martha says, I'm doing all this work. Why does somebody else help? You see, when Paul says, no, the grace of God is at work. He's working in me. He's working through me. The supply of the Spirit is there. God is supplying grace. His grace is sufficient for us. Amen? He's given us a new identity. He's really dealt with who you think you are, whether it's not good or whether it's something to be proud about. It's really irrelevant. If anyone's in Christ, new creation. New creation. I'm something God's making. (laughs) I'm God's workmanship. Beloved, you're God's workmanship. Created in Christ for things he'd prepared for you in advance, works for you to do, and he'll give you grace to do that. Don't let that grace be in vain. Don't say, well, I can't do it. No, that's staying old creation, if I can put it that way. No, you're part of new creation. Step into. See, if we only live in the limitations, see, the Bible says God chose weak things, foolish things. Well, if we live in that limitation, we're not going to see much happen. God chooses us in our weakness, but transforms us into his strength. Let's pray.